Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the weekly podcast for the Michael Reed Show on LMFM. This is Michael Reed, and over the course of the next while, we listen back to some of the best parts from the show from the week gone by. On Monday's programme, we heard an awful story about how a woman fled with her daughter from Uganda to Mosney in County Meath. Now we're going to uh, speak uh, to a woman who lives locally. We heard from her on uh, the programme last week. In fact, if uh, you were watching uh, T.G. Carr's Cade Mila Falchi, you'd probably be familiar with uh, Sadrida and her story. Uh, she's with us in studio this morning, originally from Uganda and living in direct provision in Mosney. Uh, very good morning to you, Sadrida, and good thank morning. you indeed uh, for joining us here on the programme uh, this morning. Uh, tell us... Uh, uh, a little bit about your journey from Uganda to County Meath. Uh, right, it was uh, 2016. Um, previously, I had lived a life in fear after separating with my ex. And we had the first child who I had in his village. And the whole story was like, you know, like, is it news that I used to hear or it's just happening to me? So my baby came out as, you know, a footling bridge and immediately I didn't give this baby in the hospital. It was in his home. Mm. And his mother and an old woman came in and said, oh, this presents a twin to us. So can you give us a child? Like, they don't speak. We don't speak the same language. So my ex-boyfriend mm. was interpreting for me. So I gave them my baby and I didn't see the baby again after like an interval of let's say 45 minutes they brought the baby to me and she cried and cried recklessly for probably another one hour or so and she started grasping the air and grasping the air and as I called for help like instead of them helping like okay what's going on they just took the baby and that Mm. was it okay and and this was as soon as uh, the little girl was born. Yeah, that was mm. immediately the baby was born. That mm. was the same day. and But, you know, something came up to say, okay, check. Maybe something happened to the baby or mm. um, something went wrong. So when I checked her private parts, I realized mm. something was done to her. And that's what we call, you know, female circumcision. So mm-hmm. his tribe, they do that. Okay, and how... Did they circumcise your little girl? Um, I wasn't there. Mm. I didn't witness. But from what I saw, 
you know, when you touch a child and you see the child keeps crying, mm. as a mother, you became so curious yeah. what's really happening. So when I checked... But I, I, I mean, did they take her to a hospital to have this no, done? No, did no, Did they this use an done. anesthetic? Uh, did they use any painkillers? Uh, did they do anything to stop infection? Have we any understanding of, of how this procedure took place? In my understanding, like, after that, like, my mind now woke up then later on how to read about what really happens when they do this they normally use like the local razor blades and they have local knives uh, because this is something in their belief you know it's in their culture it's in their belief and so how they do it is not to do with hospital they're not painkillers they just do it to you why 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 did they do it it's in the culture because it's a different tribe in my country that does that in the east mm. part of Uganda. So, is it for religious reasons? Um, not really. Uh, to them, they have so many reasons. They say um, one of the reasons is to keep women not last after men. Mm. Secondly, they feel that you're a full woman. And to some other because people, after circumcision, there's no enjoyment of sex. That's uh, right. Uh, and the belief then is that because you don't enjoy sex, you won't be looking for sex, and that stops a woman from being lustful. Is that what you said? That's right. And traditionally, like before, because um, of the war, they used to do it that when men go for war, then the women won't last after other men. Mm. But some other reasons would be um, they're purifying you. Right. Because it's something that they believe, not religious, but in the culture. Like it's a norm to them. And you said they believe it makes you a full woman. Your boyfriend told you you weren't a full woman. Exactly. Because on my second child, he wanted me to be circumcised as well. Right. And some, they say they are pleasing the ancestors. That it is in their in the you know in their belief that the ancestors is something done in the culture, so you have to go through it. It's like to them, mm. it's give them that zeal, you know, the opportunity to be okay. You are a wife or you are a woman to someone. That's how you have to be circumcised. Mm. So they have different reasons of doing that. You lost your first child, your first That's little right. girl. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you name her? Yeah, later on, I gave her grace. Mm. I am a strong believer, so I believe that grace would be a very important baby or big girl to do mm-hmm. something, yeah. And what was the cause of death? Why did grace die? See, the way they do that circumcision is is not healthy. It's not professional. So probably they tampered with something in the process. You know, and... You know, I, I I always used to hear when I was growing up that I don't know how true that is, mm. that they normally eat their first bones. So I just don't know because I wasn't told where she was laid to rest. I didn't see her being buried. I didn't see anything after they took her. How, how long did Grace live? I would say two to three hours. And she died because of the circumstances? Decision. As far as you're concerned, that was the cause of death. That's right. What in this part of the world is known as female genital mutilation. Mutilation, yeah. And whether it was because of bleeding or an infection or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, she died as a, a result of what these two women did. That's right. That's very hard to take. So much. Mm-hmm. I know. Hard, yeah. So you stayed with this man. Yeah, because 
we met in the city and his place, my place is far apart. I'm from the west, he's from the east. Mm. So it's two different regions. So my life was like in a shock. I was very young mm. and I only had the support of my mom. My dad had already died. So I was, and my mom was in our village. So it was like, I'm harboring on him. I'm staying with him. Whatever the abuse I have to go through, whatever I'm going through, I have to find a way out. Okay. Here I am. There's no job. There's, it's a village. Mm. You have no money. And was he abusive to you? As... So very much. Okay. Yeah, because he used to comment. Did you talk to him about the death of Grace? I asked him. He said, you don't need to ask about that. And that... That was it. The only conversation that you had. That was right. So his mother never spoke English. She never knew like the language that connects people in the city, which is Luganda. So I only have to speak to her when he's around. So him now he now he turns to me to be violent. He left like I think two weeks. He came back and as a woman who has given birth, you're still bleeding. There is no proper uh, treatment. There is no proper medication. You're just in the village. And in that breeding, he still went ahead and abused me. He could drag me, force me to sex, which I call rape. And that's what, be... that's, that's what most of us call rape. <laughs> exactly. And, and some cultures, they will believe your partner, your boyfriend, your husband can't rape you. That's what people do believe. If I can't walk in in a police station back home and I say my husband or my boyfriend has raped me. Mm. They say, what did you say? Is he your boyfriend? You're saying he raped you? Like to them, as long as you are together, mm. there is no name rape. Thankfully, that's not the case in this country. Uh, I think uh, we yeah. see it in a, a very different light. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll talk about... Uh, why you came here in a moment. But tell me a little bit more about your life in Uganda because you became pregnant for a second time. Yeah, I I became pregnant during those rapes. And at this very moment, his abusive was getting rampant. He could sometimes come with girls back home, um, drag me to the kitchen, drag me to the living room and sleeps with me while another woman is on the bed. Really? Yeah. And did you ever talk to him about that i mean were they were they was it the same woman or different women he who he was different bringing? women because he would come drunk and he tells me unless you you become a full woman it's when i'll respect you it's when i'll take you in then i'm like there is no reason for doing mm. this like why are you being inhuman why are you being violent i know i understand i if i had known this is your culture i think i would have ended it earlier but, you know, sometimes you don't know why people do things. Maybe he has his own reasons of doing such things to me. Mm. Yeah, but I didn't find it, you know, appealing. Mm-hmm. So, like, after three months, I realized I'm pregnant. And I'm like, oh, my God. After losing Grace, this baby was going to be very That's precious, right. and you yeah. called your baby precious. Yeah. Uh, and you were worried, obviously that the same thing would happen again. That's right. Mm. So I lived on. Then I was like, okay, every moment he comes, because he couldn't stay at home. He could go to the city, comes back, or goes to do his business or whatever he was doing and comes back. 
And I'm like, can I get money and I go back home? Because I know at least I still had my mother by then. Mm. You know, I know I may be looking unworthy or at this very moment I'm to myself looking shame before my mom, but she's still my mother. She'll still welcome me. He said, no, there's no money to give you. So he told me, oh, go into the farm, farm with my mom, cultivate plant crops. That's how you're going to survive. I'm like, God, here comes a world. You know, I wouldn't say I grew up in that kind of environment because mm. I don't know abuse. I don't know this. But here it comes. It's like a nightmare. Am I dreaming? Am I living? You know, I used to think why people commit suicide. But at some point, there are always reasons which push people to end their lives. But I looked at it. I'm carrying a child. She is innocent. Or whatever it was, I didn't know it was a girl again. Mm. Whatever I'm carrying is innocent. If I take my life, I it pushed me to so, those thoughts then. If I take my life, will I not have done handfair? You know, whatever it will come my way, let me carry it along with her. You decided to flee. Mm, I decided to flee when she was finally born. But so this very period of me staying, I planted up crops and I had in mind, now I had to start planning my escape ahead of time. Mm. That's what I did. So I used to see a man coming to buy, you know, crops from, you know, his mother and all that. So one day I had him speak Uganda and that's a language I can speak because I was in the city at some point. So I talked to him. Then I was like, okay. My own, you have to buy them as soon as I harvest because I have a plan. Then he started asking me, how did you end up here? So we entered into a conversation. I told him, I was like, oh, my God. Mm. So I said, all I need is money. Whatever I've planted, whatever I've grown once they harvesting time, take them off, give me the money. I'm planning to escape. I told him what happened. He's like, I can't take you because I'm known to coming, buying from farmers. So mm. I said, I don't want you to take me. I will take myself. So time passed by. I saved some money. And as time goes on, my daughter's growing. One year, he kept on abusing me. Around this time now, it's like he get off me. He was going out with other ladies, which was okay. I was like, as long as you don't come to, you know, mm-hmm. to cause me problems. So the night my daughter was to be circumcised, it was when she was turning one. And before that, the same woman <laughs> appeared, came back, the old woman. She's called the traditional bath attendant or assistant. And her mother now, and him, he was there now. So they brought clothes and coached me and taught me how to dress for the ceremony. Well, mm. I, I complied. I said, you had to dress for the ceremony? Yes, uh, you as, had, there's a presentation. like Okay, as if yeah. you were going to a wedding or a exactly, confirmation or something it's like big that. To them. Or, or a mitzvah or something like That's that. That's right. I suppose you would put it in context. Yeah. yeah. So, um, all right, I did whatever they taught me. Mm. But that night I had made a decision to live to die. 
I'd said, if I'm living, I will live. Mm. If I'm dying, I'm dying. If I'm saving my child and I die, it's fine. But I will have to save a life tonight. So you took Precious with you the night before she was due to be circumcised. Yeah, it was late in the night. Mm. So they were sleeping and I had plan now. I woke up, had shots in. I put my money in, dressed up like I'm going. Woke up in the night, backed my baby, mm. and started running. The other man who bought my clothes had given me a map of how I can go. Because since I came in that village, I'd never left it. But he gave me how to move out. So, off I started off running in the night. This is in the bush. This is darkness. This is no lights. That's the village kind of life. Wow. So now I think in the midst of me leaving, probably mm. they woke up, they were checking on me. They couldn't find me. Mm. And it was me to go with her, the, 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 the mother-in-law. Yeah. So in that process, probably at the ceremony place where we are supposed to go, someone came looking for me because the time was passing and they were not seeing me then they realized probably I'm on escape. If yeah. they can't see me mm. there and I'm not in the house, I must be somewhere. The alarm was raised, yeah. So now the race started. It's, it's like, oh, to me, I had voices like people calling my name. They were chasing you. Chasing me, and mm. I don't know how many they are. Now, in this chasing, I had, like, held my heart mm. to say, wherever comes, I'm ready. Mm-hmm. So I was running, I think to them they were throwing balls and arrows, you know, like when they hurt you, they know you can't run. That's the way they use, like if they are chasing about an animal or a human mm-hmm. being. At this time, I'm rebellious mm. to what they are doing, so they have to do anything possible. All right, so they were using bows and arrows. And arrows. They could have killed you doing that. Yeah. That had made up my mind. You said on TG Carter that People in this country don't believe your story. They don't at all. Really? They never believed me because my interview took me eight hours of sitting down, interview, question and answer. And the man said, I can't believe how someone can target you in a darkness and they don't know where are you are claiming these scars. It was that. I can't believe why did they have to wait for Precious to be one year. Mm. But thankfully enough, I don't say I'm happy about what happened last last month, but thankfully enough, the same case have come up in Ireland when parents circumcise their child at one year age. So I believe that man, wherever he was, he should have read this story and now he can't believe me. Mm. You're to be deported though, are you? No, I'm not in Bishan. Um, my case is on um, um, judicial review. Yeah, that's where my case is. So I don't know what's mm. coming up. And if you lose your case and you are deported, yeah. you're worried about Precious? I'm so worried. Mm. If they are issuing deportation, I don't know if it's for me, if it's for mm. Precious, but let my child be safe. And what about the life that you and Precious have in Mosny now? Uh, a lot of people say it's a hard life. Uh, is it a, a better life for you than life in Uganda? Yes, I would say that at some point I had to narrate everything to my daughter. 
Mm. She had to understand why we left because I left her after some time. I was walking out of the country, coming in. She never had probably the closeness with me when she mm. was a child that much because I had to, you know, to fight out to see she goes to school. She's safe. She stays with the person I'll try, you know, I'll trust. Mm. I had to work by then to cater for her. So when we came in here, my daughter loves here so much. Mm-hmm. She has integrated, like, even if I tell her, oh, what if we we want to move to another country? Say, mommy, if you're moving, leave me here. <laughs> okay. How old is she now? She's 14. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Very good. Okay. Well, it's an incredible story, I, I think, uh, for most of us uh, listening to you and uh, not one that uh, we'd have been familiar with in terms of how we've lived life uh, in this country. It's very interesting to hear uh, the story about one of our our neighbours' lives and Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps uh, we can come back and talk to you again at another time. Thank thank, you. Thank you indeed for coming in to us this morning. Thank you very much indeed, Sidridra. On Tuesday, we heard from recently elected TD Jed Nash, who was returned to the Dáil for the Labour Party. He came into us to end the speculation over whether he would or would not run to be the next leader of the Labour Party. Now, the general election has left many unanswered questions, including uh, the question about who will lead uh, the Labour Party for the coming years. Let's talk about uh, this with a recently elected Labour Party TD in Louth and East Meath, Jed Nash, who's with us. A very good morning to you and thanks uh, for joining us. Brendan Helen has announced his decision to step down. I don't think that came as any great surprise uh, given the recent result for your party. Uh, there is a speculation about who may be the next leader. I think Alan Kelly is due to uh, announce, announce his contenditure today. Uh, and you have expressed your interest in uh, becoming the leader of uh, the Labour Party. Have you come to a position on that? Uh, I have indeed, Michael, and I've given this huge um, reflection uh, over the last uh, week uh, or so, uh, and I've had uh, huge support and encouragement from right around the country, including around the Parliamentary Labour Party, uh, but I've come to the decision uh, that I would not run uh, in this election uh, for the leadership of the Labour Party. Um, having been only elected uh, to the Dáil again uh, just last week after a four-year hiatus in the Shannad, uh, I feel that my primary responsibility uh, is to the people of Louth and Eastmead. Um, it took me four years to regain the trust of my neighbours, um, my community, uh, and I value that. And that's no small thing. Uh, and I feel a huge onus and responsibility to do everything I can to represent their best, in- best interests uh, and to focus uh, entirely uh, on uh, those interests. And how would those interests be compromised if you were to contest the leadership? I don't believe they'd be compromised but they may very well be diluted, uh, and that is my fear. Um, as I say, it took four years to regain the trust and confidence uh, of the people whose uh, trust and confidence I lost uh, in the 2016 election, and it's no small thing to be able to command that trust and confidence again, and it was a lot of hard work, uh, and that trust, I think, has been rebuilt. I don't want in any way to uh, undermine that. Uh, that's not to say that this was a uh, uh, an easy decision. It wasn't. The easiest decision that I could have made was actually to contest uh, this election. Um, the difficult decision mm. was not to contest. Uh, I've had huge uh, encouragement from people across the country, um, established TDs and senators, um, former party leaders, um, grandees, as it were, of the party, uh, senior people in the trade union movement and civil society encouraging me to run. 
uh, but uh, after a lot of reflection, a lot of consultation, um, I came down uh, on the side of not running uh, at this point in time. Does uh, the Labour Party need to, to rediscover itself? I, I know you've said uh, the party has made a number of mistakes. It absolutely does. I mean, <clears throat> we need to um, find our identity again, and I'm very clear on what our party uh, should stand for um, and the values that it should represent, uh, and we should make no apologies about being uh, the party uh, of working people for working people and the party of public services and the people who will always defend that. Um, and I think now, given how crowded and fragmented the doll is, there is a very big challenge now for the party to assert that identity again. And we need to be absolutely clear about who we are, what we are, and, and, and who we represent and what we stand for. And I'm looking forward to um, a debate, and um, I, I would expect that there will be a um, contest uh, for the party leadership. I think that would be healthy. That was be, would be something that I would support. Uh, I will not be, obviously, directly participating in that, at least as a leadership candidate. But I expect to have a huge role uh, in terms of the reorientation of the party policy-wise, uh, its identity, its brand, if I can call it that. Uh, and um, I, I want to play that central role, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm certain that I will. All right. Uh, a lot of people would contest uh, that uh, the biggest uh, mistake the Labour Party made was deciding to go into a coalition government with Fine Gael and uh, adopting right-wing policies. Uh, and others would say uh, that uh, the second biggest mistake you made was that after the drubbing that you got in 2016 as a, a result of, of that, uh, you elected the Minister for Austerity to become the leader of the party. Brandon Howland. Well, I mean, we, we've argued time and again on this programme uh, the rights and the wrongs of various positions that the party had taken um, post-2011. Uh, and I think it was the right thing for us to do, to go into government. Uh, and we see lots of people putting party political interest this week ahead of what might be described as the national interest. And I think to our to our credit, and mistakes have been made, and we always put our hands up and said that they were it's a human endeavour. Um, our major achievement was uh, helping to turn this economy around and making sure that um, people got back to work and people had a you know some hope for the future. Um, I'm very proud of some achievements that I uh, have uh, brought forward in that government in terms of the work we did around the minimum mm. wage and uh, trade union rights uh, and the pioneering work. That okay, I but did I'm, around, I'm coming uh, to another point here because you, you, you elected the minister for austerity to be the leader of your party. Brendan Howland, as uh, the Minister for Public Expenditure, made some uh, very unpopular decisions, uh, and he then became the leader of the Labour Party, replacing Eamon Gilmore. Uh, and now it seems that one of the contenders, if not the main contender, if not the only contender, is another Minister for Austerity, Alan Kelly, who was the Minister responsible for the housing crisis, the Minister responsible for introducing the water charges. Well, well, well you know, they're, they're, I think, unfair characterisations and caricatures well, of, some very, of, of some very, very strong, very capable individuals. But can I say this? They're factual. I mean, if, you, if you if you look if you look back at the um, position that this country was in in mid twenty fifteen, one of the first things that we did when this country waved goodbye to the troika um, after Fianna Fáil and the Green Party torched this country, mm. um, after we resecured again our economic sovereignty and there was money available, Brendan Helen had a two billion euros to my colleague Alan Kelly who went about the business of building homes. Now, you build a certain amount of homes of €2 billion. Euros. Much of that money, of course, uh, was used then subsequently when we left office by the Fine Gael government to support 
private landlords through the HAP system. Uh, the, the vast majority, if not all, of the new housing developments, Michael, in this area, one just around the corner from this mm. particular site here in Drada, was actually financed by Alan Kelly, okay. as, as was mm. as was. But you the, have a bad image. The development and from, I'm sure around the corner that. from where and, I live. And these are and, the people who have given you we, a bad we image, rightly or wrongly. Now. We have the opportunity Rightly or wrongly. Aren't, aren't, we, aren't they the people who gave you a bad we, image? We, 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 we have the opportunity now to, I think put forward a very strong, robust agenda for change in our party, and I will be part of that. Not as a leadership candidate, uh, but in terms of the contest and in terms of the work that the party has to do over the next couple of years. There may very well um, be a contest. It's up for others to Mm. decide that. Now, clearly... But you've uh, gone from 30-something TDs to six. Uh, And if you look at where the vote has gone, the working-class vote, it's gone to Sinn Féin, People Before Profit, uh, Solidarity, um, the Social Democrats. uh, There's no doubt about that. Uh, And that is because, rightly or wrongly, you have a a bad image. And rightly or wrongly, the people who gave you a a bad image are Brendan Howland, who you elected to become the leader. uh, And now it seems you're set to repeat that mistake, or quite possibly set to repeat that mistake, by electing Alan Kelly, who has also given you a bad well, image. I'm not here to speak for, for, for Alan, and one of the things that I'm very clear about, and I, I, you know, people will make their own minds up about whether they wish to run or not, Alan has made up his own mind, and he will be a contestant in this election. I believe he's announcing uh, his intentions now at 12 o'clock today. Uh, others may very well decide as well, and obviously some of the media narrative over the last few days has suggested that my good friend and colleague, Aon O'Reardon, uh, may be uh, entering the contest, and I think it is very, very important uh, that uh, we do uh, have a contest. Uh, and uh, Aon is somebody who would be a very interesting candidate and somebody who I certainly would uh, more than consider offering my support to to enter the contest and make sure that we have that debate in the party. Over Alan somebody, somebody who's got a real reforming zeal and somebody who's mm. proven is a proven campaigner and is charismatic and somebody I think who if he uses that, that, that the, the kind of work that he's done before can actually really contribute to the re, re, rebuilding of, 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 of our party. The important thing is mm. all of us have spoken of that. Mm. We're all friends this is the important thing to, to remember here as well. And there's not a huge amount philosophically that divides uh, uh, the, the three of us or indeed anybody else in the Parliamentary Labour Party. And we've all committed, before anybody has made a decision, to actually have a robust civil debate about the future direction of the party because, after all, we are friends, we are comrades, we have a united vision, uh, and I look forward to working with whoever Would, would, would well you favour Aon or Reardon over Alan Kelly? Um, nobody's made a decision yet, and this is the point. And it's okay. up to others to make mm-hmm. a decision about whether or not they 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 will run. That's a matter for another day. Uh, I'm here to communicate the mm-hmm. message to the people that I represent, and that's why I wanted to do this on my local radio station because my primary responsibility uh, at this moment in time, and always my primary responsibility, will be the people who have entrusted me with their vote mm-hmm. just one week ago. Uh, I'm very conscious of that. Very conscious of that responsibility. It was a difficult decision to have to take, um, but it's a decision that I own. Uh, it's a decision that I'm happy with. Uh, that being said, I want to play and will play a central role in the revitalisation. If you do back the winning horse, uh, do you hope to be the next leader's deputy? Uh, we actually don't have uh, a formal role for deputy leader in the party. Uh, we reviewed our constitution a couple of years ago when the party membership decided at a party conference, um, uh, democratically, uh, that that was a position that um, we would, we would um, not have any longer. Um, everybody would have a role. We have a small parliamentary party now, six TDs, and we would hope to elect four to five senators over the next uh, few few weeks. Um, so everybody will have a role to play. Um, what I want to see is a kind of collective leadership in the party. That might 
sound cliched, um, but we've people with huge strengths and huge experience, and we've got some people with youth mm. and vitality as well who really want to reorientate this party. I want to be part of that. And in terms of government, uh, do you believe that the right thing for the Labour Party to do is to go into opposition now? Um, uh, not not only do I believe that that's the right thing to do, but the entire parliamentary party took that view last week as well and backed um, Brendan's position in terms of programme for government negotiations. Um, we didn't receive a mandate um, from the people to go into government. We had a net loss of one seat. Uh, at the moment, it is up to others um, to consider their own positions and what role they might play. Um, clearly, uh, there was some momentum behind Sinn Féin and indeed the Green Party and the Social Democrats uh, and uh, that comes with a huge responsibility as well. Um, I think the message uh, sent to us is pretty clear. So uh, when political parties talk about government. forming a, a coalition, they need not look to the Labour Party. Well, we've made that mm. position clear mm. last week and nobody has demurred from that. Uh, we have said that what we are prepared to do as a responsible mm. political party... It's worth repeating, though. I'm sure you'll appreciate it. Well, you hear so Mary Lou MacDonald saying uh, that she still this, believes that the, a coalition of the left is, is possible, despite what Owen O'Brien and Imelda Munster said on this programme, that the numbers just aren't there. They yeah, certainly aren't there without I, mean, I think they need to get their yeah. line together yeah. as well, yeah. because yeah. it's very confusing. I mean, Owen mm. O'Brien just yesterday mm. acknowledged uh, something that Brendan Howland told Mary Lou MacDonald last Monday uh, evening in a phone call. You cannot have a government without two of the major parties working together. Mm. That's just a fact. Uh, clearly, Owen O'Brien mm. and his local colleague here agree with that. Mary Lou MacDonald seems to have a different position. What we have said as a responsible political party is this, um, that on the basis of, on a policy-by-policy policy basis, for example, if uh, any new government presented a new piece of legislation that is going to satisfy our demands mm. to build 80,000 public and affordable homes over the next three to four years, mm-hmm. we would back that. Mm. Uh, if uh, they decided that they were going to use the resources we have, mm. as we suggested in our election campaign, mm. to clear hospital waiting lists, over the next couple of years. We would okay, support but, that. But, but it's a TD who is not a vested interest, if you like, because your party is not going to be part of the next government. Do you believe uh, that a, a government will be fall, formed out of uh, the current uh, configuration of uh, the 33rd job? Well, I think it can be if some imagination is um, is, is, is displayed um, and some people do what they have chosen not to do in the past, which is put the national interest above their own narrow party political interests. Heaven knows the Labour Party have done that since the foundation of the state. Mm. Um, that is something that uh, we're a responsible political party. We have an obligation to do that um, when we receive a mandate. Mm. Uh, but I don't think anybody can interpret the vote that we got just one, <laughs> just over mm. a week ago as any okay. kind of mandate to participate okay. in government. Okay, uh, but uh, I take it uh, that uh, your ambition to become leader of uh, the Labour Party is something that you hold on to, perhaps uh, next time round. That may very well uh, be the case. Um, I said time and again in the programme mm-hmm. whenever I was asked, Michael, over the years that. It's an ambition that uh, I would have at some point in the future and something I'd like to be considered for. Um, that, that, that ambition certainly at this point in time remains. But at this point in time, of course, my absolute responsibility and my primary focus is in representing the people who loaned me their vote uh, last Monday. It took me four years to build that trust up again. I respect that. Um, and I have a huge onus and responsibility to discharge that responsibility. Chad Nash, Labour Party TD for Louth and East Meath. Thank you indeed for coming to us. On Wednesday, I was joined by newly elected Sinn Féin TD for Meath East, Darren O'Rourke, to talk about how the next doll may be formed. And it was a bit of a numbers game. Wednesday morning, the 19th of February. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. 
The election is over and uh, the 160 TDs who will make up the 33rd Dáil will take their seats tomorrow. The Dáil will then adjourn when it fails to elect a Taoiseach. It's terribly predictable with politicians doing what they do best, playing politics. Everybody wants to be seen to be talking to everyone else and they are, sort of. The Labour Party isn't talking to anyone, but they are talking to everyone. They just don't want to talk to anyone about going into government. The Social Democrats are talking to everyone, or they were until they decided Fine Gael was playing games, so they've decided they don't want to talk to them anymore. But it's their fault. They swear. Sinn Féin wants to form a government of the left, and it doesn't want to talk to Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil, but it has to, because it can't form a government without one or other of them. Fianna Fáil says it won't talk to Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin knows there's no hope of Fine Gael having a chat with them either. So Sinn Féin changes its mind and goes back to talking to anyone but Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil and claims now it can magic up the numbers. Fine Gael won't talk to Fianna Fáil. No, really it won't. Well, not unless it really has to and the country is in crisis with no prospect of forming a government. Then Fine Gael will talk to Fianna Fáil but only if it really has to, to prevent another election. Fianna Fáil won't talk to Sinn Féin, and it won't talk to Fine Gael. But Michal Martin nearly spoke to Sinn Féin until the Fianna Fáil party said, no, really, Michal, you can't. Now Michal is being told if he doesn't become the next Taoiseach, he'll be given his cards and Fianna Fáil will elect a new leader. That leaves Michal with one option, one last option. Michal will look at that last option exactly when Leo looks at his last option and lo and behold, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael will see eye to eye. They will marry. They will do it in the national interest. And we'll be thankful. And we'll all live happily ever after. Darren O'Rourke is a newly elected TD for Sinn Féin in Meath East and he's on the line with us. And a very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us. Let's face it, you're all as bad as each other, aren't you? Michael, I, I think um, your introduction there, and obviously you spent a bit of time putting that together, but it, it does capture the situation we're in very well. And it it reads, as you've just read it, uh, like a farce. And I think um, that's what's unfolding in front of us. Um, I have to say, as a newly elected TD, I'm just astounded by it. Um, I think in fairness to my party, um, we're in a position we've put our hands up, we have stepped onto the dance floor and said we're ready to um, deliver on a programme for change um, and we have gone about engaging with other parties, we have uh, and we, we continue to do that we have met with the, the various government departments now to try and turn our manifesto into a programme for government yeah, like, but, I, but, like, but, like, I, like I said no, but, like I said but, you're all the same you're all as bad as, as each other well, and I'm now including you in that because you have admitted Sinn Féin has admitted that there's no prospect of forming a government without Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael and when Fianna Fáil said that it wouldn't talk to you, you're now back to believing that you can somehow form a government, and that's the argument you're putting forward now. No, well, it isn't in fairness, um, because what, what we're seeing at the minute is we're, we're advancing um, on the mandate that I believe that the, the people of Ireland gave the, the next government, which, regardless of who it uh, involves, in my opinion, the mandate is for a government of change that delivers on those issues of housing, health, pensions, and the, and the range of issues. So, so, so you made the point there 
and I happen to agree with it, that the numbers are clear, that there, that there isn't a, um, a, a stable uh, a stable government that is fit to deliver. And I think those are the two criteria that we, that we need to satisfy here. It needs to be a stable government and it needs to be fit to deliver on its mandate. In my opinion, that doesn't exist without some sort of cooperation or coalition with uh, Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael. I think, unfortunately, I would rather the situation was diff- different. So then, then the question is, well, where are Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael in relation to it? So, so, so the, it beggars belief then, the position that they have taken in relation to it. And I actually think what's happened, Michael, mm. is that Fianna Fáil in particular um, are struggling to come to terms with the new reality of, of politics in Ireland. I think to, to some degree, and I'm speaking freely here, Michael, Michael um, I, I think to some degree Fine Gael are where they thought they might be. Um, I heard Fergus O'Dowd on yesterday and various spokespersons over recent, recent days. Yeah, it, it would probably suit them better to be in opposition, given that they had nine years in, in government and, and had a tough election. Fianna Fáil, in my opinion, are in a very different position than they thought they they're would They're in a corner, aren't they? In my opinion, they're, they're in a corner mm. and they're struggling to come to terms. And, 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 and this will, they will drag it out. It won't be Sinn Féin dragging it out or, 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 or in fairness to other parties. In my opinion, it will be Fianna Fáil in particular dragging this thing out until they get their head round the new political reality. And they have two options, in, in my opinion. Well, well, there, well, well there's, the, there's the first reality that they have to face into, which is that they're in this corner, which is a make or break situation for Fianna Fáil. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, so so they they are the party, in my opinion, that has a major identity crisis. They're wondering where they fit in this new political climate. They're wondering where their voters, the people who voted for them, fit relative to to the the, the direction that Ireland is going. And I think they're they're in a position of conflict and they're they're struggling to 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 get their head around that. But but it will come to a crunch, and they will have an option to support a government for change in some shape or form. And that government of change, in my opinion, will have Sinn Féin at its very heart. Or they can maintain the status quo and reject, in my opinion, the clear mandate for change that was given from... from well, they've from backed further into that or, corner now because they've ruled that out. And uh, I think that's a fairly definitive position. Do you not agree with that? Well, well, I... I, 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 I couldn't I, I can't speak for for, for Fianna Fáil. It, it, that certainly looks to be the case, um, but who knows with Fianna Fáil? I don't, you know, I, I, I wouldn't know. You know, will will Michal Martin still be there? Will they? Will, will Michal Martin be sacrificed? Yeah, well, I, will I, I Jim O'Callaghan still be there? You yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, mm. so uh, but, but, uh, but, I, uh, all the more reason, Michael, why I think I, I agree with you. It's incredibly frustrating. I'm a newly elected TD. I, yeah. You know, um, we want to get in. We want to get working. We want to get uh, like we're, we are representing our con- uh, constituents, and we're, we're doing that busy with that constituency work. But we want Leinster House and the Dáil and the Shannon mm. to be productive institutions that are delivering for for the people of Ireland. And you're, you're right. And I and I just see it. I stand with the people in relation to this. Now I'm a, I'm a TD, but I I I very much relate to the frustration of the people as they look in from the outside to politicians. In my opinion, um, serving their own interests and wrapping it up mm. in or oh, we have to do it in the. It'll come to a point, as you said, where or oh, we have to do it in the national interest. Where really this what's what's happening here, in my opinion, uh, is um, political strategy. 
um, you know, it's it's not about uh, Ireland. It's about uh, the electorate. It's about uh, future elections. It's well, about, it's about the, two uh, political the, parties who don't want to implode, both of whom have seen a, a dramatic fall in their popularity, both of whom took a, a drubbing in the last general election gone by, both of whom are age-old rivals. Uh, this is civil war politics, and in order to get to this point where they could contemplate a merger or a grand coalition or whatever you want to call it, they have to say it's in the national interest, that there is no other option. Yeah, I, 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 I agree, and in terms of how you set it out, is is a clear option and you know if i was second guessing this in terms of how fina fall will weigh it up and how fina gael will weigh it up i would say well look uh, 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 i would guess that fina fall would rather stand with with fina gael than stand with with Sinn Féin for uh, a wide range of reasons but particularly in their own self interest uh, in in terms of of electoral future um and i don't believe it's in the national interest. I certainly don't believe that because I, I, I believe it would go contrary to the, the, the mandate for, for change that was clearly given. And, I, and I'll go back to that mm. point. Whoever is in the next government, in my opinion, has to deliver on the clear mandate that has been given. You know, you said it, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael um, have, have t- taken a drubbing uh, in, in this election. Uh, all those parties who are offering an alternative, a different type of, of future, have have succeeded to, to varying degrees, and, and none more so than my own party in Sinn Féin. Um, so, so in, in my opinion, I've said this to members of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, I, what doors were you knocking on? You know, it's clear what, what direction the people want to go here, um, and... I believe they they have an important role in in making Mm. that happen. So they have a clear option. It's either the status quo, coalesce together, uh, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, or an alternative uh, programme for government, a programme for government for change. And it's a a difficult place for them to be in. But with all due respect to Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, this is not about Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. This is about... The, the next programme for government and what it's fit to deliver for okay, the people. Okay, well, maybe they'll agree on that come Easter. Tomorrow is uh, the first sitting of uh, the 33rd Doll. It should be a really great day for you personally, for your family, for your team, for your supporters uh, and anybody associated with you. But uh, am I getting the impression that you'll take your seat in the Doll with a heavy heart? No, well, um, it, it is all those things, Michael, and it is a very, you know, I was reflecting on, on growing up in the Hedford Grove estate and Kells and friends and family and, and you know, people who, who um, you know, through one, who've had struggles in their lives and maybe some, some close friends that we've lost over the years. Um, and, you know, it, it is a very proud day for, for me, uh, for my family as a Kells man, um, you know, my new adopted town in, in Ashbourne um, and for, for our supporters to be the first ever Sinn Féin TD. But, but I, I, I'm, I'm just a, a person in a position. I really do, you know, and this isn't just some sort of political rhetoric. I, I, I believe that I'm there to do a job and that's, that's what the, that's, if, if, if I'm not doing that, well, then there's no point being there, you know. So, so we need to, um, 
when we go in there, obviously we'll we'll enjoy the day tomorrow, and I'll bring my parents up and and wife and our little fella, and you know it's it's a it's a great privilege and a great honour. But we I go I'm going in there with my eyes wide open. I have I have no attention. We've we've spoken about this at home. I like. I never want to be comfortable in the bubble of Leinster House. You know, we always need to keep our feet grounded. We're about going in there to deliver change. Um, I can see it. I worked in Leinster House. Um, I know the vast majority of politicians uh, go in there to, to, to try and do their best. But it is a bubble and it is detached from the ordinary lives that people are living. And um, if Sinn Féin is going to be different than any of those parties that have been here before, well, then we need to keep our feet rooted firmly on the ground. And I have enough people around me. My my background wouldn't let me do anything else. But we're, we're, we're you know, we're, maybe that sounds a bit kind of cold-hearted and, mm. and, and, you know, clinical, but... It's it's very firmly my approach in relation to it, Michael. And yeah, we're 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 intent, and I, I am hopeful, Michael. I am hopeful that that um, the you know the the writing is on the wall for people, uh, regardless of their their political affiliations. That look, the, the, it's clear the direction that Ireland is going here. There is enough people in the new doll to try and make that happen. And you know, maybe the election of 2020 was just the type of ground shift in politics in Ireland that makes it impossible for anybody um, to ignore it. All right, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us here on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Newly elected TD for Meath East, Sinn Féin's Darren O'Rourke. On Thursday, as the doll was resuming here, we looked north of the border to see what the politicians or some of the politicians there had done when they supported the move to leave the European Union. I spoke with the DUP's Jim Wells. Now let's uh, talk uh, to Jim Wells, DUP MLA for South Down, who's uh, pro-Brexiteer. Any regrets, Jim Wells? None whatsoever, uh, Michael. We left uh, a few weeks ago, and it was a very joyous occasion for all concerned. Um, I'm sure you're referring to the recent announcement by Priti Patel about those who can enter the United Kingdom. Well, I'm oh. referring to the announcement from Priti Patel as to who can't enter the United Kingdom and who's going who's going to do the crap jobs. <laughs> now, Michael, that's a very loaded question. First of all. Uh, not, I mean, that's a, a very derogatory term. Some of these tasks are very, very important, like social care, hospitality, and agriculture. And they certainly shouldn't be demeaned by that sort of phrase. But what I can say to you is all that's required here is a bit of tweaking, because there's no doubt whatsoever that yesterday's announcement will have a profound impact on social care, agriculture, particularly at harvest time, and the hospitality industry. So <clears throat> it has to be amended as it can, mm. as it goes through Parliament, to allow those essential labourers in. Now, Michael, can I say I speak with very direct personal interest in this because my wife <clears throat> had a stroke five years ago and she's in social care, she's in mm. a nursing home, and they're utterly dependent upon overseas staff, be they from Tanzania or Latvia or Poland, mm. yeah. to, to manage and to run the, the home. So therefore, And they work so hard and they really are they caring do. people. Uh, and they do. And so, I think when you have experience of uh, people from other countries working in nursing homes, uh, you uh, adopt a, a very different uh, opinion of those people and, and have it, great admiration skilled, for them. It is skilled work, mm. and it is work that many of us wouldn't do. It's hugely skilled and work, that, yeah. And without them, we, 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 we couldn't really survive. So It's not very well paid, though, is it? I mean, you wouldn't be earning 30,000 euro or 25,000 pounds to... No. 
do that job. And that's the important issue, that um, it, they, for those particular professions, I think it's vital that the, uh, the, the threshold is reduced. I, I don't think anybody in social or personal care in this sector in Northern Ireland would be earning £30,000. Mm. So therefore, or €30,000. Mm. So therefore, the difficulty is that for specific roles, there must be a tweaking of the regulations. And I think as it goes through Parliament, rural constituencies throughout the United Kingdom will be lobbying for the farming industry. And I think the entire country yeah. will be saying that if you proceed with this, you will decimate the social care sector. Well, what, what, what does it mean in effect, in reality, from the 1st of January, let's say? I'm sorry to hear uh, about your wife's position. I didn't know that, and I hope she gets all of the care that she deserves, uh, and I'm sure she deserves and great she care, and that she's getting that from the people who are working in the nursing home at the moment. But uh, if uh, this is introduced, will they have to go home? No, no. The, the, the folks that are here already are fine. Okay. Uh, that, it's only for new staff. But what you have to remember is that there's a, there's a, a throughput of people. There are people that come over from Poland and Lithuania and mm. places like that. They work very hard for four or five years, and then they go back home. They, they, they go back to their families or they build a house back in, in, in Eastern Europe, mm. and then they are replaced. And the problem is that they won't be replaced under these rules. Now, I, I, I spend vast amounts of time in nursing homes, and can I tell you that every colour of the rainbow, that from every nation in the world, uh, last night I think it was Jamaica and Tanzania, the night before it was Poland mm. and Lithuania. So therefore it's not just EU nationals we're talking about here, we're talking about people from, from the entire world, particularly the Philippines, who, who provide an enormous proportion of our caring profession in Northern Ireland. So um, it, it, the, the people who are here stay... But we have to also guarantee that there'll be a continuous flow of other individuals coming in to do essential work. And also, don't forget the hotel industry. Mm. If you took foreign nationals out of hotels in Dublin, how many staff would be left? And how many of those people are earning 30,000 euros a year? Unfortunately, very, very few. So therefore, I think, Prit Patel, the, the, the intent is correct. And there are many professions mm. where we don't need extra foreign workers. That introduces a, a minimum wage of what, 15, 20 euro an hour? Yes, and that's not being paid, and frankly, in the present uh, economic mm. conditions, won't be paid, particularly in the agricultural sector. I mean, the reality is that, for instance, my brother in law relies upon very hard working poles to help him manage his dairy herd. I mean, they wouldn't be paid anything like that. Uh, uh, they come over here and they're content. To, to earn a lower salary and stay and then go back to their, to their families in Poland. But, you know, Billy Patel really doesn't know what's going on on the ground. Now, this doesn't negate for one moment that it was the right decision to leave the European Union. And the good news is, of course, we now have the power to decide what the salary shall be. But and also the, this issue of English, I mean, I think that's a good idea. Um, but particularly in the, the farm labour sector, you can actually work very well on a large dairy unit without a, a, a huge degree of knowledge of English. Uh, and again, the reality is, Mike, a lot of our people 
Irish, both Northern mm. Irish and, and the Southern Irish, don't want to do this work anymore. Mm. And we effectively have full employment. Northern I, Ireland, yeah, and I, 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 I know I was being facetious when I said it at the outset. I, who, I don't who, think you meant to say that, Mike. I'm well, I, well, I mean, I, like well, I, I think the people who don't want to do those jobs are, are saying exactly that, that that's a crap job and I don't want to do it. So who's going to do the crap jobs? And I suppose well, that was the point of uh, the question. Yeah, but I, I think particularly in the hospitality and agriculture sector, I think we need to steer people away from that thought because there are very important roles and, and significant promotion as well, uh, particularly in the hospitality sector. But I mean, the, the reality is in Northern mm. Ireland, we have 2.2% unemployment. We, we don't really have un, un, employ, unemployment at all mm. because we've got factories, particularly in meat production and hotels, crying out for staff. So therefore, there's, there's work for everyone. In fact, the hospitality sector yesterday said that they project by 2024 they'll need 30,000 additional mm. staff in Northern Ireland. Well, there isn't 30,000 unemployed people in Northern Ireland mm. to do that. So the, the maths are quite clear. We need these extra people. Okay, but, but, make- but what does it mean in general terms? Because, I mean, if they're required to get a job with the salary of £25,500 or €30,000 or thereabouts, and that means they'll be on an hourly rate of somewhere between 15 and €20. Euro. What does it mean for someone who was born on the Maytown Road in Uri if they're working as a secretary in a local office? Will they be looking for that sort of hourly payment as well? Well, it's certainly it, it, most of those people have the potential of earning quite a, a reasonable salary already. Uh, but the point the point is that we don't bring the salary up to thirty thousand euro. We set the threshold down at a level that is generally paid within the three sectors, mm. or maybe slightly higher to encourage wage growth. So, therefore, I, I would say that uh, hospitality twenty thousand a year, twenty one sterling, would be acceptable. In social care, something similar, because the staff are underpaid. There's no mm. question about it. And anything that in, in, encourages a rise in salary levels would be very welcome. But we need to go out there, analyse the market and see what we need to pitch this at to continue to attract very hard-working, particularly the Polish community here, are are excellent workers. And uh, we need uh, to encourage them. But that's far higher than your minimum wage at the moment, isn't it? I I mean, And what what, what will secretarial staff uh, be saying or people who work uh, in shops? I mean, are you not, in effect, bringing the minimum wage up to 20,000 a year or 25,000 a year? Well, now the UK government is rapidly increasing the minimum wage to, to bring it up to a decent level. We now have a figure called what's called the living wage as opposed to the minimum wage, and that's been uh, rapidly increased to, to, to give people a, dec- a decent fundamental income. Mm. So therefore, I think can work together to reach a stage where everyone gets a sensible take-home pay. But that doesn't mean you increase everybody to €30,000 a year. What it means is that you bring your threshold down to a level where people are content to work for that amount and will continue to come to Northern Ireland uh, to work. Because what we do know is that there's not a pool of labour in the Irish Republic that we can call upon. Uh, though they could come across without any difficulties. There's no restrictions of people coming from the Republic at all. So therefore, mm. if, if agricultural sector, 
hospitality and social care are to continue effectively, Pretty Patel needs to be sent back to do a bit of homework. And I understand that there are many mm. MPs willing to do that. But it's uh, across the board. It's not just those three sectors. Uh, and I know that there's a, a lot of concern in Northern Ireland uh, about uh, the introduction of uh, this point system and particularly uh, this uh, minimum salary that people would have to be earning uh, if they have a, a job. They must have a, a job uh, to be able to reside in Northern Ireland. Uh, but there's a, a lot of uh, interest in this on this side of the border as well. I see the construction oh. industry here saying uh, this could be great news for us uh, because uh, we'll be able to get uh, the construction workers uh, that won't be able to go to Northern Ireland. Well, uh, construction in Northern Ireland is not that dependent upon overseas staff at the moment. It, it's food, food, agriculture and also food production. Meat yeah, but plants. instead of working in agriculture, they could come down here and work in the buildings. Well, that's true, and we need to do a study to make certain that doesn't happen. And the good news is that because we're out of Europe, we can do whatever we like. We we can set our own standards and our own rules. It's not a good start, though, is it? Really? This is only the first reading of a bill at Westminster, which will be subject to numerous amendments. And can I tell you, the farming lobby, for instance, in Cumbria, Cumbria and uh, East Anglia are already mobilising to get changes made to ensure that this doesn't go through. This is a sort of blue sky thinking by the, by the uh, Home Secretary, which I think when the bill actually gets the royal approval... I think it will be very, very different. Mm. And, and we have a year to think about this. But what I can tell you now, Mike, is we're making it very clear as a party in Westminster, mm. these current thresholds just will not work. I'd say it's the same right uh, across the United Kingdom. I don't imagine that this is uh, a problem exclusively for New Northern Ireland. Uh, and I, I wonder if anybody outside of London earns this uh, type of uh, money at a, a minimum. For instance, the, the um, fruit and vegetable uh, industry in East Anglia is utterly dependent upon Polish people and Romanians mm. uh, for harvesting. So they will be all immediately through the, the National Farmers Union saying to Pretty Patel, you either reduce the scale generally or you reduce it for particular sectors. Now, for instance, in IT, I don't think there's any need to reduce uh, the threshold because IT already pays very significant premiums uh, to these rates. Mm. Financial services. So there are large sectors where it's not needed. It's just these three areas where there has been a history of very productive work by overseas people, which has to continue. Is there a chance that Pretty Patel is a modern-day Marie Antoinette uh, and uh, wonders (laughs) if they can eat cake? Well, I said, that's a very good analogy, actually, Mike. I'd probably use that myself in the next <laughs> press release. Well, but what I'd say to you is that maybe she's basing her understanding on, on London and the southeast of England. But already her own MPs from the northern constituencies have been on to say, look, this has to be tweaked. Now, it doesn't undermine the fundamentally. We can't have unbridled. Uh, migration into the United Kingdom from every part of the world, particularly the EU, there have to be controls. But there have to be controls which are to the benefit of the United Kingdom economy. Because the one thing is absolutely certain in the present high employment rates in the UK, there are not uh, UK citizens available to do all of this work. Uh, as Bernadette McCallisty, of all people, said last uh, night on mm-hmm. local TV here, she said that we might argue about whether we're British or Irish, but the one thing is certain, it's not enough office to run this country. We need outside help. 
Okay, we'll leave it on that note. Thank you indeed for joining us here on the programme this morning. As always, a DUP MLA for South Down, Jim Wells. And there you have it, just some of the issues that we've been discussing on the radio over the course of the last week on the Michael Reid Show on LMFM. We'll have another podcast for you next week. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards.